Section 13 of Gallipoli Diary. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sue Anderson. Gallipoli Diary by John Graham Gillum. Section 13, July 28th to August 7th, 1915. July 28th. See my friends of the 13th Division this morning. At 12 noon, high explosive shells come over our camp and kill six fine horses. 4 p.m. On duty at Main Supply Depot and, ugh, beastly high explosive shells come over. One bursts in Ordnance Depot and blows two men to bits. Very glad when I am off duty, but I would rather be here than in Alexandria. My brigade has been away at Lemnos resting, but comes back tonight. Nothing much has been done since the battle of June 29th, which I saw, except the French have straightened their line in accordance with our move. Everything is very quiet. Even the French 75s hardly fire a shot. But something big is afoot. Three of our companies have their horse lines dug in at the foot of the cliff in the lower road, halfway between W Beach and the bakery, past the Greek camp and the cliff, which is higher than in most places, affords almost perfect protection for the animals. Officers and men live there, but it is not a very sanitary spot to live in, what with the manure and the flies and the heat. Occasionally, to make the atmosphere more savory, a dead horse or mule is washed ashore, after having floated about for several days. Most of the animals which die or are killed are towed out to sea, and there sunk, either by the firing of bullets into the carcass or by stones fastened to their legs. Many carcasses are, however, in spite of all precautions, washed ashore, causing great unpleasantness to all near who are living dug into the cliffside. One such decaying carcass this morning, lying on the water's edge half-submerged, aroused the ire of a staff officer, who immediately strafed the officer living in the cliffside nearest to the place where it lay. He was politely told that the Navy are responsible for everything up to high water mark, and, of course, could strafe no more. But the poor old Navy have their hands pretty full, keeping the seas open for we on shore, and it is rather hard lines on them to add to their heavy responsibilities the keeping of the shores and beaches clear of washed-up carcasses of poor old mules and horses who have died for their country. Now and again a dead mule or horse is buried on land, but we still, after over three months' effort, are holding such a small bit of land that room is very scarce, and a burial ground for animals is out of the question. July 29th, a hot day, rather gusty and dusty, and, of course, not a cloud in the sky. My brigade is back from Lemnos and is along the cliffs of the west coast with headquarters at the mouth of the gully, or the now famous nullah. West coast cliffs now absolutely honeycombed with dugouts, arranged in terraces as far as possible. The whole tip of the peninsula is alive and teeming with troops and followers of all nationalities. British, French, Senegalese, Greeks, Arabs, Sudanese, Hindus, Gurkhas, Punjabis, and Sikhs. 13th Division now moving off the peninsula. Poor old Findlay up to his eyes in ordnance. 
Fortunately, he was away when the shell burst in his compound yesterday. He says, got strafed the Kaiser from morning to night. Only half a dozen high-explosive shells come over our way today, but inland, Turkish artillery has been fairly active, but nothing much doing on the front. Aeroplanes busily humming overhead, beaches very busy, with all kinds and manner of work day and night. Meet Fulford, pal of Birmingham hockey days a few years ago, and again of Salisbury Plain days of 1914, now a chaplain in the 40th Brigade, 13th Division, having tea with him tomorrow. He tapped me on the shoulder on W Beach, saying, Thanks very much for the gloves, Gillum. I borrowed a pair of gloves from him on November 14th, had lost them, had sent him another pair, and he had forgotten to write and thank me. I had not seen or heard from him until today. Observation balloon up, captive to a steamer off the gully beach, but little or no artillery firing on our part. 13th Division of Kitchener's Army have had their baptism, but in defense, not attack. Turks had a taste of what Kitchener's Army is like. I believe in after years the name of Kitchener will be wreathed in a blaze of glory that will dim the luster of all other famous names in our history. Not only will we beat the enemy with the splendid troops his genius has created, but if his spirit still endures in the nation after the war, we shall defy the world for all time, and in that way form an impregnable barrier to the mad ambitions of other states. July 30th. Ride my new horse today along to the gully, Nulla, and see Brigadier General Cayley. Awfully pretty at the gully, with cliffs honeycombed with headquarters and terraces leading to them. Brigade now almost up to full strength again, and Tommy's enjoying bathing and domestic duties. Tommy is a most lovable animal, sometimes. Met Panton, who is now Deputy Assistant Director of Medical Services to Division. He was wounded in the leg in May, but is now quite fit. Talked of those early days. Also see Fulford again. Come along Top Road on Cliff with Major O'Hara and Major Collier as far as X Beach when we ride down and finish the ride back to W Beach, walking along the lower road, for much traffic was passing and going. Heavy shelling on W Beach from high explosive gun on Achi, but most burst into the sea. Plenty of fire today. I think the 13th Division are going to attempt a landing up the coast soon, but news is very scarce. Whatever is on is being kept very secret. Hear that about five enemy submarines have been caught out here in nets stretched between two drifters and blown up on contact. Only a rumor, though. The Navy keep very mum about these things. I think one submarine has actually been brought into Malta. Aeroplane falls into the sea, pilot and observer safe, and both picked up. It glided down beautifully. I learned that a French ship was torpedoed while I was away, but none of the crew was drowned, and ship was empty of supplies. Findlay Smith came to dinner. Awfully amusing hearing him grousing about the shelling, just as he used to grouse in the old days about such a thing as a train being held up between Clapham Junction and Waterloo. It is topping dining in our bivvy, listening to the gentle wash of the waves, and, after dinner, enjoying the view of the sun setting behind Imbros. 
while we smoke and have coffee. Guns from Asia seem to have been silenced. Cannot see any signs of life on the plain of Troy, which looks pretty peaceful meadowland. Can't see it in detail from here. They must have observing stations there and see all that we are doing, and hence the shelling of W Beach. Farmer, Neve, and Balfour of the 88th Brigade staff have been sent home, invalided. Hear that there is to be a new landing further up, but when I don't know, and that this time we shall land quite six divisions. I predicted in the early days that 250,000 men would be found necessary to make this job a success, and troops which have come and gone and are coming nearly reach this figure. It is surprising what a little bit of land we are on, just as if it was a small corner of the Isle of Wight. Fancy being able to take in at a glance our front lines and the Turkish lines, Krithia, the west coast, the Dardanelles and Asia's mountains, and the formidable position of Achi Baba with its supporting ridges on either side. That is what we can do with the naked eye from the edge of the cliffs on either side of W Beach and over three months have now passed since we landed. July 31st. While issuing this morning at depot, high explosive shells came over from Achi. They burst in different places, searching the beach. One bursts near Way's depot, and one man and two mules are hit, the man badly. Next one on aerodrome. An interval of two or three minutes passes between the arrival of each shell. Shortly after the one had burst near Way's depot, I, standing with issuers, drivers, general service wagons, army transport carts, non-commissioned officers, and ration parties all around me, hear the shriek of one coming straight at me, for it shrieks too long. Those who say that, if killed by a shell, one never hears the shriek of the shell that hits one are quite mistaken. That is to say, when being shelled by one, two, or three guns at a time, in a bombardment, of course, the din is so deafening that you can't tell which shell is addressed to you and which is not, and after a bit you don't much care. A deafening explosion and dense smoke, dust and stones, and I find myself locked in the arms of a transport driver with my face buried in the stomach of a fat sergeant and mules kicking all around. Not a man hit and the shell five yards away the nearest I have ever had. It had burst in a mound of soft earth and right deep in the ground, and that saved us. I look up, and all the others get sheepishly to their feet, and I get out another cigarette and smoke. I smoked six of them hard, and tried to be facetious and to pretend that I did not care, but not one man there could have been in a more miserable, cowardly funk than I was, while waiting for the next, which, however, gave us a long miss. Later in the morning we got a few high explosive shells from Achi, one pitch clean on the roof of our signal offices, which is a timber direction, sandbagged and proof against splinter only. There the clerks work, tap, 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 and buzz, 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 to and from all over the peninsula, messages being sent and received every minute, almost all the day and night like a central telegraph office in London. Down came the shrieking thing, a deafening report, splinters of timber, torn sandbags, dust, stones, and smoke fly into the air, 
and then silence. A pause, and men rush, not away, but to the ruined office. Nine men and one signal officer had been killed outright. Several wounded are carried up the cliff to the hospital. Operators immediately get to work connecting up the severed wires to new instruments. Improvised tables are put in position. In half an hour, a wire is sent off to general headquarters that all is okay, and tap, tap, buzz, buzz is heard once more, tapping and buzzing busily away, not for a weekly wage, but for the king. It was a near thing for old Finley in his office, twenty yards away. I rode to a submarine this afternoon and went aboard, delightful sitting on deck and chatting to the captain. He has just heard good news from Persia, and we are all cheery. Go up to brigade headquarters, Gully Beach, and have tea, and chat to battalions in rest on cliff sides. While away, hear shells from Achi screeching overhead for W Beach, and feel therefore quite safe. The ordnance had it this afternoon. August 1st. Artillery duels go on again today, and several high-explosive shells come over while I am on duty at the main supply depot. This afternoon I am drawing forage for tomorrow's issue to the division. We draw men's rations for the same day's issue at six o'clock in the morning, and forage at four in the afternoon before. Greek labor loads the wagons with the oats, maize, and hay, which carry the forage three hundred yards away to our depot of four dumps. When shelling is on, the gang of thirty to forty Greeks melts away, and often, when at work checking each wagon, one finds, when one looks round, but ten Greeks left. Then it is necessary to hunt round, behind, and in amongst the large, high, and wide stacks of grain and hay where the missing Greeks are to be found, quietly hiding here and there in twos and threes. Some are very good at sticking to the work, more so the boys, as young as fifteen, and the elderly men, some of whom are quite benevolent-looking. This afternoon one or two shells coming close to us, it was necessary for me to stop work for fifteen minutes to make sure that no more were coming, and to place the mules with their wagons behind the stacks of hay, which afford perfect protection. I have never yet seen a shell penetrate a wide stack of trusses of compressed hay. A pause, no shells, and out we pop from our hiding places like rabbits, and load busily away once more. It is really funny, like a game of hide-and-seek. Panton dines with us tonight, and I have to leave immediately after dinner, for I am on duty at the depot drawing extra supplies. These are now being drawn nightly to form a reserve depot in the gully, but a little way up from Gully Beach, to be ready for us in case we advance. As I walk across the high ground on the left of W Beach, looking towards Achi, I hear the booming of a Turkish gun, and instinctively I know that the shell is addressed either to me or in my direction, and accordingly fling myself to the ground in a manner to rival the best stage fall. The usual sound of the sky being rent in two is followed by a deafening explosion, and dust and stones fall on top of me. The smoke blown my way makes me cough. I arrive at my depot. A man runs up and reports that the shell has hit a dugout in which three of our supply loaders live. I send a man back for Panton and start to run across to the dugout. I hear the heavens torn asunder again. 
I fall flat behind boxes. The beastly thing bursts in the hay. I wonder if the farmers at home ever realized how we would bless their compressed tresses of hay as protection from shell-fire. I run to the dugout. Two men are lying dead. One man, wounded, is being carried away by his comrades. Panton, who has arrived, takes their identity discs. One cannot be recognized but for his identity disc. I go over to depot and continue my job of seeing the wagons loaded. I go to mount my horse. As I am about to put my foot in the stirrup, I hear again the boom of a gun. I feel jumpy and duck. I hear a laugh. It is from a driver. It is dark, and he can't see who I am or my blushes, for the boom I heard was from a friendly, heavy French gun over by Morto Bay. I ride round the top road with Cook, who is waiting for me behind the dugout a little way up the west coast. We speculate upon the reason why the advance depot is being formed in the gully. If the landing further up is successful, then the Turks are bound to retire from before Achi, and the hill will at last be ours, at last. We must therefore be prepared for an immediate advance, hence the advance depot. We arrive at the gully, riding on the beach down the winding road. It is a beautiful starlit night. The gully and its slopes are illuminated by a host of little lights from the dugouts of various headquarters signal stations, dressing stations, etc., all unseen by the enemy, but from the sea they look like the lights of a small fishing town, nestling in the shelter of gorse-covered, irregular cliffs. I call at brigade headquarters and then at a dressing station, where some cheery Royal Army Medical Corps fellows give me a whiskey and soda. Afterwards I accompany Cook, who is in charge of a convoy to fetch ammunition up to Pink Farm. We ride up the high road, on to the highland, and after being stopped now and again by the halt, who are you, of a sentry, arrive at the ammunition depot near Pink Farm, in Trafalgar Square. There we load up with ammunition, which we cart along artillery road, meeting the gully halfway, dip down, and, our loads disposed of, we ride back home, arriving there at 2 a.m. Cook persuades me to stop at his dugout and have a nightcap, which I do. He has built for himself a nice cozy room, dug in on the cliffside. Sitting there in the early hours of the morning, I am reminded of that whiskey and soda most men enjoy at two o'clock in the morning when arriving home from a dance. He has made a dugout stable for his horse and invites me to leave mine there for the night to save me the fag of taking him back to his lines and to enable me to take the shortcut back to the dugout which is but a little way along the cliff towards W Beach. I therefore tie up my horse, water him, and give him a little hay, and go back along the cliff to bed. August 2nd. I am up at 6 a.m. on duty at the depot, drawing men's rations from the main supply for today's issue. I pass our lines and find my horse, which I had left at Cook's stable last night, standing in his proper place again. He had disagreed with my leaving him in a strange stable, and had found his way back to his own lines and into his proper place by some means only known to horses. A horse is not such a fool as some people imagine. On account of shelling, I have lately managed to get my issuing of rations to units all finished by 9.30 a.m., and today, no sooner had I finished than over the brutes came. 
There is a lot of artillery work about today, and we have pushed a little in a very small part of our center, just to straighten a bulge in our line. Three cruisers have been in action up off the coast above Y Beach, bombarding the Turkish right part of line and right over the peninsula onto Asia. It is nice to hear the sound of the guns of battleships again, but I do not think that their guns do the damage against positions on land that I imagined they would before this campaign. The trajectory of their shells is too low, especially considering the geographical formations on this peninsula, which provides good cover everywhere for the enemy. There is great anticipation in the air about this coming landing, but nobody knows when and where it is to take place. August 3rd. Aviatik airplane comes over this morning and drops a few bombs. Later in the day, high-explosive howitzer shells come over from Asia. Heavy artillery duels now going on. Everything the same, but shelling a bit heavier on W Beach. We hope each day that the great fight will come soon and end this show, but each day seems the same as yesterday, and we can only anticipate that tomorrow will be the same as today. Two officers buried in dugout at Supply Depot by shell this morning, both rescued and carried off to hospital. Shells over all the time we are issuing, and it is terribly trying, as there is absolutely no cover for us, and we, of course, have to stick it. Our senior supply officer, Major Shorto, just managed to get behind stack of hay in time out of the way of an Asiatic Annie. Two cruisers came up in the afternoon and heavily shell left of Achi Baba with broadside after broadside, and it is encouraging to hear their welcome boom. After dinner, I ride over to Gully Beach with Cook and Petro via Top Road. Not much fun riding by day now. Very quiet in front, but at 10 p.m. firing begins, and we can distinctly hear the explosions of those terrible weapons, bombs. It dies down after a while. August 4th. Perfect, calm sea, hot day. The big gun at Achi Baba left us alone while issuing this morning, but in its place a howitzer on Asiatic side kept us alive and steadily dropped shells around us. Phew! I am glad when that morning issuing is over, for every morning regularly now we are shelled. Later in morning she tried dropping them on edge of cliff and reached once or twice. Not much damage, and a howitzer gives plenty of warning, but one cannot so easily gauge where their shells are going to drop as with the other guns. Two o'clock. Shelling by big guns from Achi has now started, and they are dropping on the beach, and everybody is taking cover for dear life. Now, howitzer from Asia is joining in. Nothing much happened today, except heavy artillery duels, and, with the anniversary of the war, we find ourselves not much further forward than we were two months ago. August 5th. Another hot, depressing, monotonous, and nervy day. Was officer of the day at the supply depot, and, as usual, shells came over. A fuse whizzed near our heads with a most weird singing noise. French battleship at entrance bombarded Asia, and two British cruisers on west coast bombarded Achi. Something big is going to happen soon. I may add that this sentence has been passed from mouth to mouth for the last week. And 
if that something does not happen soon, we shall all be in a devil of a fix on this tiny little tip of the peninsula. So dangerous has it now become to walk about in the open that a communication trench has been dug from X Beach right to the firing line, and so troops landing on W Beach can walk round the road at the foot of cliffs and straight up this trench to fire trenches. Most of the transport by day goes by this road, only venturing in the open on high land by night. Our depot, however, still remains in the same place, exposed to and ranged on by enemy's guns, with the result that we get shelled regularly every day, and the sigh of relief that will go up to heaven when we have orders to move will echo from Asia to the Aegean, right up to Gully Beach with Cook and Farquhar and Sea Brigade, and after right up the gully and across to Pink Farm. Nothing doing on front. We enjoy the ride and exercise. Devilish difficult getting a decent ride nowadays. At Pink Farm, bullets as usual chanting their pinging song. On the way back, a monitor up the coast starts firing heavily, making a huge flash, lighting up for a big distance the sky and land, a roar like a crash of thunder immediately following. August 6th. On duty at 6 a.m. at Supply Depot. Several shells come over at the shipping, but none into our depot, shrieking overhead like lost spirits. Distant sounds of heavy bombardment going on up north, and one man said that he saw through glasses shrapnel bursting up the coast ten miles away. If so, a landing probably is being attempted at Suvla Bay. Ammunition ship with an evidently damned fool of a captain comes in at two o'clock in broad daylight and of course gets shelled. Pretty good shooting on part of Mr. Turk, and ship gets several narrow shaves. The vessel then backs out towards two hospital ships, and these, of course, get nearly hit, one shell going right over one of them. The ship finally gets away after being clumsily handled, but it is bad form to back near a hospital ship. The hospital ships lie off here night and day, well within range of the Turkish batteries, which never fire on them unless a supply or ammunition ship goes near. Two o'clock. A heavy bombardment on our part has started. We have again begun to hammer at the doors of the Dardanelles. The sound is not unlike thousands of men beating big drums with thousands of trains running through tunnels. The bombardment is heavier than anything previous and is concentrated on our left center in front of Crithia, a few French batteries are joining in, and all the British and two monitors, the Raglan and the Abercrombie, and a light cruiser with several destroyers open fire as well. The 14-inch guns of the monitors make an ear-splitting row when they fire, and the bursting shell throws up a column of smoke and dust quite 300 feet into the air. One was plumping them in and about Krithia, and the other on the west ridge of Achibaba. A field battery of the Turks opens fire on one of the monitors just off where we are sitting, and we are rather amused at their efforts. Yet imagine our surprise when one of their shells actually hits the monitor, the Raglan, without doing any more damage than denting her a little, at least as far as we can see. We hear the sound of the shell hitting her armor. 
An accident which might have proved serious occurs shortly after. The monitor fired one of her guns, and almost simultaneously the other gun, which is depressed, fires, and the shell strikes the water, then ricochets off onto Gully Beach, exploding, killing one man and wounding six. The bombardment died down somewhat at four and increased its range, and then there burst out the undertone of rifle fire, sounding like hundreds of carts rolling over cobbled stones, with the spasmodic pop-pops of the machine guns. Later we catch glimpses of little khaki figures charging toward Turkish trenches in front of Krithia. All this time Krithia is getting fair hell from our guns. At six, firing dies down to spasmodic gun and rifle fire. At the time of writing, I hear that my brigade, the 88th, have distinguished themselves, especially the Essex, and that two lines of trenches have been captured. At dusk, the destroyers, monitors, and the cruisers have gone home, and the aeroplanes to roost. During the fight, I notice lots of shrapnel shells bursting behind Anzac, so no doubt the Australians and New Zealanders are fighting as well. And in the distance, though it is difficult to see, I saw several white puffs of shrapnel bursting. It is now a cool evening, with a bit of a wind, and spasmodic firing is going on inland. Saw Findlay in evening, and then turned in. August 7th. Up at 6 a.m. and ride out towards Brigade Headquarters, but the Turks have started to heavily bombard our lines, and we are replying. So I postpone my visit, for Pink Farm and the Krithia Road are getting it badly. At 9 a.m., monitors, destroyers, and cruisers come and join in the bombardment, which continues all the morning. At 2 p.m., I ride up with Phillips to Pink Farm, and, leaving our horses, we walk up the communication trench to Brigade Headquarters. Bullets very free overhead, and we keep our heads low. Royal Marine Light Infantry going up to the trenches. Some of them look quite young boys, and all look hot and tired and serious. I find the brigade have gone back to Gully Beach. We were badly cut up in yesterday's battle. Day and Black have gone, good pals of mine, both killed. This is the most horrible side of war. They were so merry and bright along the beach a few days ago. It seems that all the best go. Come back to Pink Farm, passing Jennings going up. Turkish attack starts, and our artillery gets on to them. But they still come on determinedly, and seem very cocksure of themselves. Ride over to Gully Beach and see remnants of the brigade along cliffs again. What a change to two days ago. Tommy's cooking their meals, talking over yesterday's battle, and pals that have been killed. I look for day and black instinctively, but, of course, in vain. The beach looks blank and depressing. Algy Wood is still there, however. Wonderful man, been through everything and not been hit, and thank God for it. Poor old 88th. Come back to W Beach and find them shelling us, just to show us that they are still very much alive. Hear that another landing has taken place and was successful at Suvla Bay. Artillery duels and rifle fire still continue. Destroyers make a dash up straits as far as just above de Tot's battery and have a bit of a duel with land batteries, shrapnel playing all over them. I think fighting will go on steadily here now, with no more delay, for it is vital to the Allies that the Dardanelles be forced, and when they are forced, 
Goodbye to Turk and Germany look out. We have got to get all our own back and more. 8 p.m. Very heavy rifle fire opens, and Turkish attack takes place. Just what we want. They might just as well run their heads against a brick wall, for no doubt they think that they will eventually break through our line and round us up or drive us into the sea. End of section 13